Okay, so today I want to talk a little bit about self and non-self again, but in specific terms related to the Karaniya Metta Sutta, the Buddha's words on loving kindness. So as you know, I'm currently, Ayachitananda and I are currently teaching a retreat here at Cloud Mountain on non-self and this whole idea of how the Buddha used non-self as a tool for awakening is quite <laughs> fascinating and it also sets his teachings apart from the other teachings that were around at the time and I think also today. So right now Aya Chitananda is teaching in the hall and I'm here with you. And we're both going to be looking at the Karaniya Metta Sutta, the Buddha's words on loving kindness. Because the Buddha not only talked about non-self, anatta, he also talked about self, atta. And of course, it's a perception of self because he makes clear in many places in the suttas that we can't discover anything that can actually be identified as self. Anything we look at, any of the aspects of who we think we are or what we might think would be self. And he's talking about a lasting self, something that doesn't come to an end or fall apart or depend upon other conditions to be in place. And there's no such thing that you can find anywhere in Sangsara and not even in Nibbana, the deathless. There's no self there. So in other suttas, the Buddha will talk about how if you really examine this question, you can't discover anything that's durable, that could be considered self. But when he used the word atta, which is self, or sometimes it's translated as oneself, it's generally in terms of ethics, morality. He also talks about being able to do things through personal strength. And these are the concepts that help us to develop our character, help us to develop important basic qualities that make it possible to practice and make it possible to live in the world in a, in a good way. So when I, when I look at the Buddha's words on loving kindness or the Karaniya Metta Sutta, you can see how that comes into play. He starts by saying, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, 
not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So all of this is done by the conventional self. You know, our choices, these are choices. And they're also things that we can develop through practice. So we use this as a guideline. And of course he gives many guidelines in places on the suttas about how to live our lives and the choices we should make, the kind of people we should associate with. And you know, this is all self based atta, not an enduring lasting self, but um, Chichananda just came back. The morning reflection isn't very long, by the way. No, no, I'm not chatty. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear her. Um, so the, 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 the Buddha talks like about this. And then, of course, in the, in the Karni Metta Sutta, he goes on he talks about how we should think of other beings. And this is also coming from this conventional self. May they be at ease. May they have happiness and safety. And then he, then the, the next section of the sutta, he, he includes everyone. The weak, the strong. He says, don't leave anyone out no matter how great or mighty or medium, short, small, seen and unseen. So whether it's the devas or it's, you know, human beings, whether you see them or not, whether they're nearby or far away, those who already exist in the world, those who are waiting to be born, may they all be at ease. And he then he says, "May we, we're also wishing that no one deceive each other, that we don't despise any being, no matter what condition they are in." So that's a that's big to take in, you know, that we are not hateful or dismissive in a way of of living beings, no matter how we feel about them. Now, as I've talked about before, we can have disgust for their behaviors if they're unwholesome and cruel, but we don't have any kind of hatred for the being, the person, itself, themselves. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon anyone. This is important for our own mind and it's important for what we put out into the world. And he gives this analogy to a mother who protects her child, 
her only child with her life, with her very life. And he says, with this kind of boundless heart, we should cherish all living beings. So we might, you might've heard teachers point out that it doesn't mean that we treat everyone like our only child and we um, take the responsibility of protecting them in the same way, but that it's that kind of feeling, that kind of caring that we have for living beings. The mother's love for a child is the closest thing to this kind of unconditional um, meta that you can find in the world. But of course, it's also riddled with attachments. And so we want to recognize the aspect of this that the Buddha really wants us to relate to and to cultivate the 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 fact that the mother loves the baby before it's ever born and she has no idea what kind of condition it is in health-wise or personality-wise or karmically, but she loves that child already. That kind of universal, unbounded love for living beings. And then he talks about this practice or ability to radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, in all positions, standing, walking, sitting, lying down. Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. So this is the result. You let go of our prejudices, of our views of how things should be. That doesn't mean we let go of Dhamma. We can tell the difference between natural law, the way things work, and our own ideas about how we think things should be or how uh, we want things to be. Because we certainly aren't freed <laughs> if we still have those views. Most of the time, our suffering comes from wanting things to be different than they are. So when we let go of our desires, both for the sense world, as he talks about here, and for the fulfillment of our views, then we can be free. And realize Nibbana rather than continuing to travel around and around in cycles in samsara. So from my perspective, when I consider this teaching, of course, we use this as a chant. We chant this teaching, and I know you're all familiar with it. And it's the, one of the most used and 
uh, sort of popular common of the suttas. There are three main ones that the Buddha that that the Buddha taught that are used so um, extensively in the Theravada, in ceremony and uh, chanted for the benefit of beings. And this is one of them. And there's also the the highest blessings, which we often chant. That's really um, extensively used to support living beings. So it's it's like um, when I look at this in terms of self, when we start out, as I said, really coming from that place of atta, the conventional self, developing qualities, taking action, that's wholesome, and then this whole idea of taking everyone in to our heart, uh, having loving kindness for all beings and radiating that, then we start to get in more into how to let go of the self, that idea of self, our self, selfishness, our self-interest, our self-perception, and really having this boundless love that comes from more of a place of non-self. This, this idea of self, the perception of self fades as we open up to really caring and loving other beings, even the ones we don't see, the ones we will never know. Sometimes it's easier to express and extend love to those beings than the ones we know because that's where our views and our opinions and our feelings might arise and be barriers to a full acceptance of things the way they actually are. We also might feel like we have certain responsibilities and this this kind of comes back uh, for me as I look at that idea of um, thinking about all beings as a mother with that strong, um, kind of automatic protection, feeling of wanting to protect and care for. But this, um, because as I said, it's riddled with strains of attachment. And this is this can happen when when we know anyone, right? We've got our ideas about how they should be and about how we want them to interact with us and what it is that it means to us to have them in our life, those kinds of things. Our judgments about what we think they should or should not do. And that's that's uh, something that when we let go of our perception of self, when we let go of coming from uh, a place of me and mine, then we can be present with all that mess and still be loving. The non-self understanding that there really isn't anything I need to protect. There's no 
self here to protect. That the protection that we can rely upon comes from the Dhamma and it comes from Kama. So those were some of the thoughts I wanted to share today. And I think now we could spend some time in meditation.